And I just want to welcome you again today on a beautiful, snowy January day. And uh, it is uh, grand outside, and it's even better inside. So I'm glad you're here today. I want to continue to speak about what we started last week. I want to just take some time and talk about the Akarit that we talked about last week. And I think we can really benefit more as we truly understand the concept, the principle of what this Hebrew word talks about. And, uh, you know, and I, I just say, I will just tell you that I, I really truly want um, our times together to be meaningful. I just don't feel comfortable just saying I just come up and give a message and, and um, have done my job. That's not what it's about. I'm really hoping that as we discuss God's word and as we talk about it, that we can really grasp what the Lord is trying to tell us. He is trying to speak to us. Do you know that? And I may not always be the best vessel that he speaks through, but I do my best. And so I just truly want to hear what the Lord has to say to us, and I truly want to be able to communicate it. And I'm really praying that you're hearing it. Not just hearing it, but we're applying it, and we're taking it through the week. And it's using it to change our life. Because, guys, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense if we don't do it that way. I mean, why just come to church to come to church if we're really not trying to glean what the Lord has for us? He really does love us, and we really, we really are in a, in a position of hearing from him and letting him change us, letting him work in us to make us the best that he wants us to be and just to do the things that are pleasing to him because someday we're going to see him face to face. And if I want that day to be glorious, then I need to be living in it today so that I make it glorious then. And that's kind of exactly what the Akarit is talking about. So I want to dwell on that today. I just want to dwell on what that means. And for those that weren't here last week, uh, the Akarit is a Hebrew word. And... um, it's, it's spelled A-H-A-R-I-T. It's pronounced A-K-A-R-I-T. 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 Okay, so you can just put that in your, put that in your um, linguistic memory, if you can. A-K-A-R-I-T. What it means, it means that which comes after, or the after effects, the final consequences, the end. That's the principle behind the A-K-A-R-I-T. It's, it's the end of what our life is going to be about. H.W. Wolf, a Hebrew scholar, says this. He says that the Hebrew concept of akarit is like a man rowing a boat. He sees where he has been, but the future is toward his back. That's what akarit means. Akarit means the back of something. He backs into the future. It is entirely unknown to him because it is behind him. And I know that we struggle maybe with this concept, but Just put your thinking cap on here for a minute or maybe take your thinking cap off, Jackie, and just let it sink in. (laughs) But, but, you know, when a man's rowing a boat, and I showed this little picture last week, and I'll show it again now. when When you're rowing a boat, where are you looking? You're looking backwards, aren't you? Where you've been, because when you row the boat, it's pushing you forward, and you don't know where you're going because you're only looking backwards, right? So the akarit of a holy person is interesting, and it's good because God has to set the course. 
So God sets the course of the holy person. All we see is the past, what's behind us. God sees the future. He sees the big picture of things. And we're backing into our future, so to say, so to speak, right? Our akarit is heaven. God is preparing a place for us right now. He's preparing our mansion. Jesus said, I go to a place where my father is building a home for us. I'm paraphrasing this, obviously. But where the Father is building a home for you and I today because he sees us in the end state of a Christian life. He's preparing a home for us in heaven. That's our akari. That's our end. But we're, but we're looking backwards as we're rowing in this life, and all we see is God's faithfulness. And this is the thing that's so important is that the past is more than just our past, but it builds our hope and it builds our trust for our future because we see the faithfulness of God's past. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. We have a promise for tomorrow, and so because we have a promise for tomorrow, we can be content in our circumstances, whatever they are. Maybe you're financially content, maybe you're not, but we can be because we know that our future is not based upon what I have. Our future is based upon what God has in store for me, and that's a big promise, and I like that. I like that a lot. So as a result, then, we live, we live our lives wholly before the Lord so that our akarit, or our eternal life, is pleasing. Pleasing in this life, and more importantly, pleasing in the next life. Now, the unholy person, he's in the same boat, still rowing backwards, but he has no set course in his life. God is not directing his path because he's not asking God to direct his path. He's an unholy person. But, he all, but he's the same thing as us. All he can see is backwards. He's seeing his past. God sees the future, just like for us. Uh, he's backing into his future. But his or his future is not heaven. It's hell. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. That's what the Bible says. Heaven or hell, one of the two places. And a, a person that's not holy is not going to go to heaven. That's what the Bible says, right? So their akarit or their final destination is not, is not heaven. It's hell. Right now, when they're looking back backwards, they're not seeing the promises of God. What they're seeing is their is the benefit or the, the the products of their pursuits. Okay, what they have done, and what they have done fails. What they have done fades away. So their history is is not long lasting. It it vanishes, and so they're therefore they're they don't have a promise. They're they're fearful. What their past tells them is everything they have, they eventually lose. Everything that they have eventually will pass away, and they'll lose it. And they have, no, they have no sense of hope. They're hopeless, and they're fearful. And their accurate is eternal punishment. All right? So that's not a good place. So that's not the place we want to be. We want to be the holy person. So now we go back to the holy person life. And now that we're in this life, our responsibility is to keep rowing the boat. Life is going to continue on for us, and we keep living day by day. And when we're rowing the boat, what we're doing is that we're doing works of holiness. That's what we're doing as we're rowing the boat. And works of holiness are not as a work of salvation. They're not to save us, but they're a result of our salvation. And we have to say that again because that is really important. And that keeps us moving in the right direction. That keeps us in relationship with the Lord as I continue to work my works of holiness because that's what this, theory, this, this, this whole series is about is God's holiness. God's calling us to be holy. 
because He is holy. And His Word says, unless you're holy, you will not see the Lord. So it's important that we understand holiness and why we're striving for holiness. And, and in future weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about holiness is not perfection. Holiness is not legalism. Really, holiness is our pleasure. It's our privilege to live a holy life because God has given us so much, because he loves us so much. As we talked about earlier today, God thinks you're beautiful, and he thinks you're worth it all because you are, and he sees that. And because he sees that, it's my pleasure to live a holy life for him. It's not an obligation. It's my pleasure, right? So that's where we're at, and that's kind of what I wanted to dwell on today. I want to talk about a couple things. I want to look at, I want to stress two different things about the Akarit. I want to stress, I want to talk about the, the concept of looking backward to move forward. And what does that really mean for us? What does it really mean to look backward to move forward? And then the other thing I want to talk about is the significance of appreciating what we want our end to be like so that we can understand what our now needs to be. All right, we'll talk about that later. So, number one, let's look at what does it mean to look backward to move forward. Now, the concept of looking backwards is an interesting concept, and it's something we need to think about and and recognize the significance of this. And I know that some would say that we're not supposed to look backwards, as this passage in Philippians says. Philippians chapter 3 Paul says, beginning at verse 13, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us to. So I'm not saying here anything contradictory to this because Paul is saying don't look back and forget the past. But the example that we've been given is in the guy in the rowboat, the Akarit, is that all we see is the past. So how do we forget the past if that's all we can see? So I want to understand, I want to discuss this a little bit so you understand what Paul's trying to say here. And this is not contradictory at all. Paul is speaking truth here as we are to be set free from our past. We are not to be bound by our past. Our past isn't to identify us, especially our failures in our past, because we all have them. We all have failures, don't we? We've all blown it a few times in life. And that's not what we're to dwell on. But what we are to dwell on is how God has used those failures for his good. And that's what we're going to be spending our time talking about. We're going to understand that, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we are, uh, we are not limited by our past mistakes. And that's what Paul's talking about here. That's what he's trying to stress here, that he focuses on his future, not his past, in the, from the perspective of his past that doesn't define him anymore. I was a sinner. You were a sinner. You're no longer a sinner. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. Uh, uh, People say that a lot, and they're meaning well when they say that, but in reality, that's not who I am anymore. I am a new creation. I am not a sinner anymore. 
So don't, don't get caught up in, by saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What you're doing is you're, you're kind of slapping God in the face when you say that. You were a sinner, but God has changed you. You are not a sinner anymore. You are a righteous person. You are redeemed, and you are a new creation, and you are God's handiwork, and now you are a child of God. Now, does that mean you don't make mistakes? No, we still make mistakes. But as a child of God, I know where to go to get my mistakes fixed right now. I go to Jesus, and I repent of my mistakes on a regular basis. And it doesn't make me a sinner. It doesn't make me a sinner when I'm redeemed and I make a mistake. I'm no longer a sinner. I am a child of God. And, I want, and, and you need to see yourself as a child of God. Don't let the enemy take you down that road of being a sinner anymore because you're not if you're saved by grace. Make sense? That's what Paul's trying to say here, all right? God knew us. I want to know, this is some of the history. This is something, not the history, the mystery of God because God has the ability to see the, the, the end before the future was ever created. Now, recognize that God is the creator. He created the universe. He, he was, he's outside of the boundaries of his creation. Otherwise, how could he create it? He's outside the boundaries of time. He created time. He's outside of it. And this is something we just can't grasp. And I'm not trying to, I can't make you understand it because I don't understand it. I'm just accepting the fact that I know that God is bigger than time. And so he sees the end before the beginning was ever thought of. And that means that he sees you. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 3, verse 5, I'm sorry. The Bible says, Jeremiah says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, God knew Jeremiah the prophet, but this he also knows you and me. This isn't just limited to Jeremiah. God knew you before you were ever even thought of by your mom and dad. He knew you before your mom and dad were even born. He knew you before your grandparents were born. He knew you before your great-great-grandparents were born. Before the creation of the world, he knew you. That's God. That's the mystery of God is that he already knew who you were and he had a plan for you before you were even born. Psalms 139, verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God has written your book already. It's already laid out. He already knows what you're going to do. That's a pretty awesome thing about God. That's pretty amazing to think that God already knows us. And I have one more scripture that I think will help us even further as we recognize and we read and believe Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work out together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God causes everything to work out together for the good of those who love God. This is talking about the holy person, right? That holy person rowboat, the holy person that loves God, God is working everything together that has happened in your past for your good. 
Again, it's a mystery here. I can't fully understand it. All I know is that God is working everything in my past for my good because I love him. Because I've chosen to love him. Very important point here that we recognize that our choices matter here. If I'm an unholy person, I don't know that I can claim that passage. Because it doesn't say for the unholy person. It doesn't say for the one who doesn't love God. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those, say it with me, who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's important to realize that. Because if I want to have God's purposes in my life fulfilled, I need to love God. I need to do my part of the equation. God has created every person with a free will. Everybody has the choice to make or the freedom to make their choices. Now, he may desire us to make certain choices, and he may have given us a path to make them, but it's still our choice to make. Do you recognize that? We have to realize that we have the freedom to choose. That's the only way that God can really understand or know if we love him or not because he has to give us the freedom to choose to love him. If he made us to love him, then there's no proof that I love him, correct? No more than if your spouse made you make them love you. Make sense? If you had to get your wife down in a headlock and say, tell me you love me, tell me you love me, and she goes, okay, all right, I love you, I love you. Don't think it means a lot, does it? But if by her own free choice, even in your ugliness, even when you blow it, she says, you know, I know you blow it, but I still love you. Now that's pretty powerful. That's pretty meaningful. Those are the choices we hear that we need to make. So that mysterious thing about God is that God loves us even in our messes. He loves us. And he also knows our end. He knows our akarit before we even make the choices. Now, to some, this may sound like now we're predestined. And I want to talk to you about that because that does not mean we're predestined. Just because God has the ability to know what I'm going to do before I do it doesn't mean that I don't have the choice to do it. Make sense? It's still my choice. It's just that God knows my choices. But that doesn't mean he's made my choices. I'm still responsible for every choice I make, even though God knows that I was going to make that choice. I'm still responsible for turning left at the stoplight, even though God knew that I was going to turn left before I got there. Still my choice to turn left or right, and I chose left. God just knew I was going to turn left. He didn't make me turn left. It was my left to take. And I took it, and he knew it. That's the mystery of God being outside of time. And this is important because this is how our past is so important for us. Because God knew how I was going to end up. Before I got there, now my past can help me. It's it's hard to understand it this way, but yet my past mistakes, God can use them because he knew at the end I was going to be that righteous man. 
He knew it. He didn't make me righteous. No, still my choice to be there. But he knew I was going to do that. So therefore, my past can make sense now. And I, and I will just tell you, I, I would just, I would just encourage you to take some time this week and sit down and look backwards in your life. And look at all the things that have happened in your life to see how they, might have, they may have um, positioned you to be where you are today. Now, some people would have a problem with this because they would say that, well, I'm not where I'm supposed to be today. Well, let me just tell you that God has, his plan is for everyone to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. All right, that's his plan. That's his will that all men would come to a saving knowledge of who he is. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't have anybody predestined, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to go to hell. That's not his plan. He would have all people choose Christ. But that doesn't mean they're going to. And it doesn't mean it's God's fault. God has reached down to every person and he's calling down to every person and his hand is still reaching down to every person and say, come on with me. I want to take you to bed. I want to take you to a better place. But it's my choice and it's your choice to receive it. That's his plan. Now, for some of us that have gone through some difficult times in our past, we may have a problem with this concept. And so this is what I would challenge you to do. I would challenge you to look at your past and look where you are right now. And if you're not at the spot where you should be with the Lord, can I just say this without offending anybody? But it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that you're not where you're supposed to be. God didn't make you to make mistakes. You have to look at our own life and say, okay, God, what did I do wrong? Where did I miss it? You've, you've given me the past. You've shown me the past. And I have the ability to make it right. It's never too late to start new. <laughs> it's never too late to start over. Even if your past is very shady and maybe very clouded and maybe with a lot of mistakes, that's okay. God can still use all that to get you to the point right now where you say, wow, God, I I need to make some changes. And that's what we need to do. We need to examine our heart and say, Lord, what do you want me to do when I look backwards and see where I've been? The Akarit says, If you want the future to be different, you've got to do something now to make it different. Because if you stay on the path of unholiness, your akarit is not going to be heaven. Your akarit, your end, is going to be hell. Doesn't it only make sense? Yeah. All right. For many people... We may be trapped by our failures. We may be trapped by the fact that we have made mistakes. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Of them, the Proverbs are true. 
Of them who? Of those that are trapped in their mistakes. Rather than learning from the past, the proverb says, a dog returns returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. I don't know many here that know pigs, but pigs like mud. They like to be dirty. They do. You can wash a pig up and let her go and think, okay, now stay clean. And she, the first thing that pig's going to do is look for a mud puddle and wallow around in the mud again because that's what pigs like. And that's what unholy people like. You can wash a person up, but if a person doesn't change in the inside, if the Holy Spirit doesn't do the work on the inside, the person will go right back to the mud. So that's not learning from our past, is it? That's not being very wise. And thank the Lord he doesn't want to leave us there. Thank the Lord he doesn't want to leave us to wallow in the mud. Thank the Lord that he wants to change us. He wants to change you because he loves you so much. The Holy Spirit is the changer. He's the change agent. And many people struggle with their sin or their failures and think, man, I am too bad. I have done too many bad things in my life. God just can't forgive me. Well, can I tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The east and the west never meet. You can go around it. You you, you start heading east from here, and you keep going east, and you go long enough, you're never going to make it to the west. You're going to keep going east the whole time. Big circle. You go north and south, you go to the North Pole, and all of a sudden you're going to start going south. That's why he says east from the west and not north from the south. You make it to see that? Because there is no east point where you start going west again. You're always going east. So east and west never meet. Therefore, God says... If and when you ask for forgiveness and I forgive you of your sins, I never bring them back to you again. As far as the east is from the west, your sins have been removed from you. Does that make sense? Does that make it worth serving him? That he is never going to hold our past against us. But we have to commit it to him. We have to Uh, Say, I'm sorry, we need to repent. We need to go to the steps of living now a life that doesn't bring that old sin back in our life because he's forgiven us from us, from he's forgiven us from it. Why do we want to bring it back up? Why do I want to go back and wallow in the mud? You've been washed. You're a clean person. You're a clean vessel. Stay that way. You stay that way by living holy and by living a repenting life. And don't allow yourself to go back to the mud. Learn from the past. 
That's really important that we understand that because when we can look at our past as a way to help us to our future, now we're learning what the akarit means. All right, so let's go to point two. Point two is the significance of appreciating what we want our end to be like to help us understand what our now needs to be, right? This is really important because if I can get this point here, this will help me make the decisions that will keep me holy. It's important that I make some determinations right now when I'm not in the heat of the temptation to say that when I'm tempted that way, I'm not going to fall in it. All right? Now, let's just, you know, pick, pick, your, pick your weakness, <laughs> whatever your weakness is. For some of us, it's pornography. For some of us, it's alcohol. For some of us, it's overeating. For some of us, it's lying. For some of us, it's stealing. For some of us, it's, you know, you name it, whatever your weakness is. All right? Identify it right now. What is your weakness? Now, right now, you may not be tempted in it because you're sitting in church, and so you're not tempted in it. So it's, it's easy to stay out of that. But make your decision right now to say that now when I get home, I'm going to have the opportunity to overeat. I'm going to have the opportunity to indulge in this junk food. I'm going to go and I'm going to buy the, the bag of Doritos and that Snickers bar, and I'm going to just chow them all down. Right? But say to yourself right now, no, I'm not going to. So when you get into that convenience store at the gas station and you walk by that Snickers bar aisle, you can say, nope not going to get me this time because I've already made my, I've already made my mind up. I'm not going to let that temptation get me. That is the akarit because that is showing us that my actions now can be changed or can change my future if I decide now that I'm not going to get bit by that same dog twice, right? So now let's just walk in it. This isn't, this isn't rocket science, this isn't difficult. It's not hard to understand. In fact, it's very simple to understand. The hard part is doing it. The hard part is holding ourselves accountable to it. I get that. You know, if you want to be seen as a good man come your funeral, if you want to be seen as a good man, if you want people, all those people to remember you as a good man when you're dead, then what do you need to be right now? A good man. How many times have you been to a funeral and they're talking about the guy that's laying in the casket and you wonder if you're at the right funeral? I don't remember that at all about that guy. That's not the guy I knew. Pe you know, people can embellish it but let me just tell you, that's not, but God is not an embellisher. God sees you as you were. So if you want people to say that you were a, a good man when you die, then you need to be a good man now. If you want people to say, man, that, he was a generous man. When that man lived, he was generous. So what do you have to be now? Generous. If you want people to remember you as a godly man at your funeral, then you need to be godly now. It's just, that's the akarit. That's looking at your future, knowing that what I have to do right now to make my future different, I need to make the changes now so that my future is that. That's the akarit. See, from a human vantage, we can't see what comes after. We can't see what's behind us. God sees it, even though I can't see it. God sees it. 
And God's going to hold us responsible for this. I want to give you five scriptures right now because I want people to understand that when we talk about God being a God that judges people, that it's not just man making this up. I want you to see the significance of what it's going to be like that day you see Jesus face to face, how important it is that we live today getting ready for that day we meet God. All right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Read it with me. It's on the screen. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Are you getting the drift? Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Revelation 22, 12. The last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible. It says, look, Jesus speaking, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. So there is no question about it. We will give an account for our life. Nobody is going to be left out of that accounting day. And no excuse is going to be good enough before the Lord. The devil made me do it is not going to be an excuse. Or my wife, oh, she was too hard to live with. Or any other excuse. So Scripture cannot be any more clear that we will give an account of everything we've ever done. So the principle of the Akarit should help us with this understanding that my actions today are going to determine what my judgments are going to be in the future. When you walk out of this church today, this is not about a big altar call. This is not about you coming up and getting the chilly willies about getting an altar call thing. No, what this is, this is stuff you take with you. This is stuff you take to your job with you. You take to school, whatever you're going, wherever you're going, take this with you because the Akarit says that I am going to give an account for what I do today. So therefore, I will want to do the things that are pleasing to my Father in heaven. And this is where when I truly love him, it becomes a pleasure to serve him not an obligation. It's a pleasure because I know that he thinks I'm beautiful and I know that he thinks I'm worth it all. So therefore, it's a pleasure to want to serve him. And that's where we have to get. We have to tell the enemy to stop lying to us. We have to tell the enemy to stop making it so hard. Get out of here, devil. It's not about me having to do anything. It's about me getting to serve my father because he loves me so much and I love him back. And now it's my pleasure to put away of the things of the world. It's my pleasure to put away the things that displease him. And it's my pleasure to serve him for all that I am. Amen? So let's go back to that man rowing in the boat. So here we are, we're in our rowboat of life, 
rowing very hard as we work our way through this life because it is hard work at times. I get that. But can I make the challenge to all of us today to be careful at what we're working hard at? Can you see the result of your efforts now being rewarded or being judged depending on what you're working at? You're going to work hard at something. Can I tell you that right now? You're going to work hard at something. So make the right choices and work hard at the right things. Work hard at being righteous. Work hard at being holy. And the more you work at it, the easier it becomes because it becomes who you are. It becomes your lifestyle. If you truly want to be that man at the end of the day that says, that was a good man, you know what? It wasn't hard for that man to be a good man. It wasn't hard because that's who he was. He wasn't just putting airs on. He wasn't just doing it when people were watching. No, the good man was good all the time. It was easy for him to be a good man. The man that was generous, he was generous all the time. Not just when people were watching him, how much he put in the offering. That's not a generous man. That's a man that's doing it out of guilt. God loves the joyful giver. Why? Because that's who he is. Because he's joyful. So this is what I'm, ta- this is what I'm trying to get us to understand. That the enemy, he doesn't want to tell you the end of your sin. He wants to keep you living in the moment. He wants to keep you living in the pleasure of the moment because it's fun to live in sin. I will tell you, it's fun to live in sin for the moment. But the akarit of that is death and destruction. And the devil will never tell you that. He'll never tell you what's behind the door. He will keep you trapped in the pleasure of the moment as long as he can. And then as soon as the guilt and the shame comes... He'll turn it right around on you and say, I told you you were a loser. I told you you couldn't do it. He's not your friend. Can I just tell you, the devil is not your friend. Sin is not your friend. It may appear friendly. It may appear fun for the moment. But it's not your friend. Jesus is the answer. Proverbs chapter 14. Beginning at verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that appears right, to the man, but in the end it leads to death. I'm telling you, the devil is very good at making your path look right to you. It may make good sense to you to be doing the things you're doing right now that are sinful. You could have all kinds of justifications for them. You can justify it any way you want to, but in the end, it'll lead to death. In the end, the akarit of that is punishment. Is that what you want? Seriously? No. So let's just make the changes. I want to live a life today that I want to hear Jesus say to me at the end of my life what it says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful. 
You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what I want to hear. So if that's what I want to hear, then today is the day of being good and faithful. Would you, would you pray with me? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just thank you so much for word pictures. I thank you for the way that you spoke in parables and how you give us word pictures today that help us see the truths of God's word. I know, God, that you think I'm beautiful. I know it because your word says it. I know that I'm worth it all because Jesus proved it. Because he gave it all for me. And so, Lord, now I pray that as we are in this room right now and we're hearing this word, God, you knew that we were going to be here today. You had a divine appointment for every person in this room today because you knew before we were born that we were going to be in this room today. We were going to hear this message, and this message is going to set some people free today. I pray it's me. I pray it's me. I pray that I'm set free by the words that I've spoken through the God's, through your word. And I pray for every person in this room as well that they would be set free. This morning, are you aware of your akarit? Are you aware of it? And do you want it to be the way it is or do you want to change it? It's not hard. This morning, if you've never given your heart to Jesus or maybe you want to do it again, I'm going to give you an opportunity to because this is important. If the Lord's calling you, He's calling you for a very important reason because we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. You don't know what tomorrow is going to hold for you. You have today. So in this moment right now, if you want to recommit your heart to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to to stand up. I'm just going to ask you to stand up. Maybe you're already a Christian. I see that. Thanks. If maybe you're already a Christian. Maybe this is just a recommittal. Maybe it's the first time. I'm telling you what, guys. I'm standing up. Not because I have to, but because I want to. I'm standing up because I know I want my heart to be right with the Lord. Father, I just thank you now. I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for the Akarit. I thank you what it means. Lord, I thank you, Father, for those that recognize the fact that we all have issues things in our life that are can be made better. So I thank you for those that are standing up with me and I pray your blessing upon them. Now I'm going to ask everyone else to stand up with us because indeed we all need to stand up. We all need to stand up for Jesus. We all need to stand up and make it known that we're not going to give in to the peer pressures of this world. Father, I just thank you now for your mercy and your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you will just help us to remember this example, 
Lord, that you will take it, that we'll go home with us today and that we will see the akarit of what we're doing, the significance of what it means, and that we can look backwards and see how faithful you've been to us, how perfectly you've orchestrated our path to be here today. Lord, and then that we'll look at how important what we do today will mean for tomorrow and that we'll use that to change our life. Make us right before you. Keep us right before you. Help us to be repentant in everything in our life, every area of our life. Help us not to let one thing slip by. And I give you the glory. And I give you the praise. And I thank you, Jesus, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.